great. Uh, so there's less of me now to uh, talk to, so that's pretty exciting. Um, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, like you care. Online people, I'm sure you care a lot. So anyway, uh, that, oh, thank you. Yeah Gil, yeah, Gil and I got the same hairstyle going on right now, so that's good. I'm sure people are already like, man, the best part of this service is when I learned about the risk of stroke and heart attack and all that stuff earlier. I don't know that this guy's got anything. Um, so today uh, we are doing this series of messages called uh, Crossbridge Summer of Discipleship. So we've been talking about how do we grow as disciples of Jesus. And, um, you know, disciple is simply a fancy word that means student, means learner, means pupil, means apprentice, you know, whatever uh, word you want to use, feel free. Uh, but the idea is if we want to be followers of Jesus, we have to actually follow Jesus, right? The, the Bible doesn't create, Jesus doesn't create a category for, like we do in our world today, where it's, hey, I'm a Christian, right? I identify as a Christian. I'm kind of in the category of Christian, but it's more like, hey, I'm a, I'm a fan of Jesus. Like, I'm team Jesus. Like, if you said, right now, pick a religion. Like, Jesus would be the one I would pick, right? But like, I, like, don't ask me to, like, orient my life or anything, you know? Like, don't ask me to do that, right? And Jesus create a category for that. He, he creates the categories for us of disciple or not a disciple, right? Those are the kind of places where we can live and the stuff that we can do. And so we're taking the whole summer to talk about how do we grow as disciples of Jesus. Um, we have this kind of roadmap that we use here at Crossbridge called our four C's. So last, uh, we began this series by talking about how we can connect in relationships or truth meets life, that all the time when we grow as followers of Jesus, often relationships are a part of that. Uh, we talked uh, last few weeks about cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus. So if we want to, you know, if we want to experience a, a growing apprenticeship to Jesus, we need to cultivate kind of this relationship or, or uh, followership with him. And so the next three weeks, we're going to talk about uh, contributing by serving as one of the ways, uh, part of the roadmap for how we, we grow to be like Jesus. And the end goal, I'm going to start here, the end goal of contributing by serving is that we would love like Jesus, okay? That we would love like Jesus. Now, um, if you've been to church before, anytime the word serving or service or whatever comes up, immediately I feel like people are like, oh shoot, he's gonna like guilt me to like be on the offering deposit counting team or whatever, right? Like, oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, if you could do kids ministry from now until 2047, every weekend, that would be awesome, you know? So like already you're like, honey, maybe we could take the boat out next couple of weeks, you know, or right? Um, but I want you to understand something. Um, I think serving at the church is important. I think serving out in our community is important, all that kind of stuff. But my goal, and I think my goal, because it's Jesus' goal, I think, is not that you would tick a box in your life of, oh, serving, check, right? My goal is not that you'd be like, oh, I greet people at Crossbridge twice a month before the service, check, right? Oh, I go to the Carney Center and I serve soup to people experiencing homelessness, check, you know, whatever it is, right? Those might be valuable things to help you on the journey to the destination. They are not the destination, right? That's like saying, hey, I'd like to run a marathon, I ran the first, like, training run, which was maybe like a 5K training run, which just heads up is about 23 miles less than what you're going to need to run on marathon day, right? And that's like, being, well, you know what? I did the 5K run, check, so I'm, I'm good, like, check, marathon complete, right? Nope, not how that works, right? The end goal is not I would do one of the things to train to do this, right? The end goal is I would actually do this. The end goal for us is not, 
hey, I would do practices that help me grow toward the end goal, right? The practice, the thing is, I want to accomplish the goal, which is to love like Jesus. Am I making sense here? Yeah, yes, yes, okay. So, um, that word there, love, is doing a lot of work, isn't it? Because that, you're kind of like, okay, if I can just jerry-rig love to mean like something that's really helpful toward me, right, then I don't have to change anything, right? And unfortunately, Jesus doesn't really give us that option. He doesn't allow us. Now, in our culture, when we look at that word love, uh, we think of love as a very emotional, sentimental kind of thing, right? When, when someone says, I'm falling in love with so-and-so, right, we understand that's probably like a feeling, emotive kind of thing, right? When I say things like, oh, man, I love I love going to get a pizza. Oh, I love getting a whatever here, you know. Like, oh man, you know what I could really go for? I would just love this, right? When we say stuff like that, we understand, like, we're not saying, like, I'm committed to the actions of being in a committed relationship with the pizza at Gain Street Pies or whatever it is, right? We understand what we're saying is, no, I, when this food or this drink or this experience is in front of me, right, I, I really enjoy it. It makes me feel a particular way, right? We, we think of loving as a very emotive thing. The problem is, that's not the way that God thinks about love, right? God has actually a very different kind of definition of love. So, very familiar passage that you've probably uh, read before. If you've ever went to a wedding ever in your entire life, it was probably read at the wedding. You probably even have like a picture in your home or something. That might have. We do, actually. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It loves to see good things being done, basically. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Okay, now, uh, Brian, will you bring us back to the, the first slide there, uh, first verse? Okay, now, I just challenge you, just like tick through each of these things real fast and ask yourself, like, what is being asked of, of love here? Well, love is patient, right? Now, certainly there are days where I might feel patient with someone or something, right? But we understand very quickly that the feeling patient or not feeling patient isn't love, right? What love is, is when I actually, in fact, when I don't want to be very patient with you, when I have already told you 20 times and you still didn't get it, when the room has been asked to be clean 47,000 times and still, oh, which look at that, clothes all over the floor, right? When that coworker at my office, I sent you the email last week and yesterday and this morning at 10 a.m. and, you know, like five minutes go, you know, whatever it is, right? That's where patience comes out, right? Pa I might feel more patient some days, but patience is not a feeling, right? Pa patience, <laughs> the feeling only matters if the feeling leads me toward acting patiently with you, right? Let's go to kind, right? Love is kind, right? There are days where I feel kind. I, I want to be gentle. Yesterday was one of those days. Too bad we didn't have church yesterday. And so I felt, I mean, I wanted to be so kind. I wanted to be so, right, whatever, right? But we understand being kind isn't just, oh, I felt, I felt so kind today, right? We understand, nope. Kindness is like, I'm actually doing the actions of kindness really regardless of how I feel or not, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to fake it on the, whatever, right? There's an issue, we're going to talk about it. But like, hey, I'm not, I'm not faking kindness to you, right? Like, we could go through each of these. If you go through each of these little things, here's what you're going to discover. There may be emotional components to each of these, but they are all going to be 
acted upon, right? There's an old Christian song, this will really date me, but there's that old song by the great philosophers, DC Talk, that says love is a verb, right? And so it's the idea that you got to verb love according to God, right? You can't noun it. You can't adjective it. You got to verb it. So I'm sure that's grammatically correct too. I'm sure my English teacher is crying right now. Um, So you're like, Wes, okay, it's just like one passage you found, whatever, okay? Well, John, Jesus' best friend, you know, just check him. You know, he says, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. So, I mean, I that's, he didn't say that about me. So, anyway, John writes to people like us. He says, children, <laughs> kids, let's not love with words or speech. Like, people would ever do such a thing, right? Let's love with actions and in truth, right? So, John's saying, Hey, I'm like, I'm not really impressed with people who talk a good game regarding love, right? I'm actually really impressed with people who like do love, right? Who act out love, okay? James, brother of Jesus, what does he know about love, right? James says, suppose a brother or sister uh, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, well, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. Oh man, I feel so loving because I'm wishing well of this person, right, man? I hope you get what you want, right? I, I hope, right? But you do nothing about their physical needs. What good is it, right? Uh, to quote another very famous philosopher, Shania Twain, uh, Canada, Canada, Canada's most famous philosopher. That don't impress me much, right? That's what she has to say. It's, it, that's right. Two ninety song references already in this sermon. It's pretty impressive. So here's the idea. God doesn't think of love as something sentimental, something emotional, right? He, he, when, when the Bible, and I mean, we can find a million verses like this. When the Bible talks about love, love is grounded in the action of God or a person toward another person, right? That, that's what love is grounded in. Love is something that I, I act out, okay? Um, our feeling is often that we want feelings that transition into action, right? I feel a particular way about you, so therefore I'm going to act, you know, lovingly toward you. God's plan is actually, you know, that I would, I would have actions that when wholeheartedly practiced over time produce a feeling, okay? Like this is kind of different for us. God if you will submit yourself to your master, Jesus, and go through the, the wholehearted actions of love, here's what you're going to discover. That you'll find the feelings that follow. You'll find the freedom to be able to love in any situation that you find yourself in. Okay? Um, I was on vacation last week. And we, I just wanted to take a sip of coffee to memorialize that. And so, um, when I was on vacation, we met my new nephew that was just born, okay? He's like six, seven weeks old, something like that. His name's Levi. And uh, Levi is really needy, okay? Like, doesn't have a job, uh, doesn't, you know, he eats all the food. Like, my sister's breastfeeding, so she has to, like, stop at particular times of day to, like, you know, pump some milk for him. And then and then after he eats, he doesn't say, like, thanks, Mom. He just goes to sleep. Or, he, or even worse, he poops on her. You know, like, Brittany was at, we were actually at a restaurant, and, like, Levi apparently peed so hard, he just, like, peed through his clothes and right onto Brittany's lap, which was really great for the rest of the, I really got a kick out of that. Uh, that was really fun. Now, I mean, Levi, right, he's just like, I mean, who would want one of these things, right? You know, like, like 
if you think of a child, right, in terms of, oh, well, what do you bring into the party, kid, right? Well, that's, <laughs> I hate to tell you, having a, having a little baby, right, that's a one-sided relationship, isn't it, right? That, that's not really, that's not really great. But we understand, well, hey, like, it's incredible, this kind of the nature of love, right? Is my sister, is the people around my sister, right, as they care for Levi, as I care for Levi, right? Even as he's pooping and peeing and eating and doing all the baby stuff all over the place, which is often inconvenient for me and you know, it doesn't work out well, whatever, right? Ramon understands what I'm talking about right here, okay? As he does all this kind of stuff, uh, what's crazy is, as I go through those actions of love, I find myself loving that person, Right? How many moms and dads, right, you can go, man, that kid brought me through hell and earth, and I love him to death, you know, like that kind of thing, right? You know, I want to strangle you because I love you so much, right, you know, like that kind of thing, right? It's kinda, I think that's kind of a picture for us uh, of what I think, hopefully, minus the strangling, what can happen to us if we will yield ourselves to the actions of love on behalf of others in our lives, right? That as we submit ourselves to the actions of our master, here's what we discover. We discover I'm ready, willing, able prepared to love anyone, everyone in any situation, right? Now, it sounds really good. It sounds great, but that we need to tackle today. We need a paradigm shift as it pertains to loving like Jesus. And the paradigm shift is what I just told you about, right? It's the idea that, hey, my love can't just be, oh, I feel good, so I serve you or I help you or whatever, right? The paradigm shift we need is that um, we actually need to love like Jesus, that we need to actually lay down my life like Jesus, right? They can't just be a sentimental thing. It's got to be an action. It's got to be an activity. It's got to be like a, a flesh and blood, this is what I'm doing kind of thing. That's the paradigm shift that we Now, that sounds really great, right? That maybe for you summons images like saving Private Ryan, you know, or so, like something her heroic and wonderful, you know, or when JFK was like, ask what you can do for you, ask what you can do for your country and all that kind of stuff, you know? Like, that sounds really nice and really good and whatever. But Rick Warren, who's a real famous pastor, he says this about serving. I think it's great. Everyone loves to talk about being a servant until they get treated like one. I thought, yep, there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there, right? Service sounds really great until I get kind of taken advantage of, until it gets kind of taken for granted, until it kind of, you know, all the things that are endemic with the nature of me being a servant, right? When those things happen, I'm less jazzed oftentimes about being a servant. Now, our challenge, which I think Rick kind of lays out for us so well, is we process everything through the filter of what's in it for me. What's in it for me? I do it too, okay? I'm not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm learning this with you, okay? Um, sales and marketing. If you're in sales and marketing online, if any of you guys like study sales and marketing or whatever, we have some friends that just opened a boutique and like they're in sales and marketing now. And so, like, sales and marketing, like, literally, principle number one is what's called the WIFM, which is the acronym for what's in it for me, right? Every commercial you see, every ad you see, everything, when you scroll through Facebook and you're like, oh, these ads are so, oh, yeah, I do need, I do need new underwear. Oh, good point. I'm going to save that for later, you know, or whatever, right? Like, everything that you see, right? It's, it's marketing to you through, through, hey, let me tell you what's in this for you, right? 
hey, there's a great sale, right? What's in it for you is you're getting an incredible deal. Oh, what's in it for you is this is a luxury good, and this is so wonderful. What's in it for you is you can kind of keep up with everyone else in life. You know, if you're, it's like a cologne commercial. It's like, what's in it for you is like beautiful people will like hop in the pool in front of you at the black tie cocktail party that you're at or whatever's happening on the commercial, you know? Like, like all these things are kind of marketing toward the, hey, let me tell you what's in it for you, right? And over time, without even trying, that kind of by osmosis just kind of gets into our spirit, right? It kind of, it kind of gets into who we are. And so I start to think of my life through, well, what's in it for me? I become a scorekeeper. I become like, a, I kind of weigh the pros and cons of, well, I could help my friend move. Okay, so the negatives are, it's hot, I'll get sweaty, it's a lot of work, it'll be many hours, they're not going to pay me. And the pros are, <laughs> how important are these friends really? You know, like you start asking these questions, right? And so we, we think through all of those kind of filters. And the challenge is, if we want to love like Jesus, right? Jesus apparently didn't have a lot of, lot of concern with what's in it for me. Jesus didn't come to our world because he was like, man, you know what's going to be a real step up from heaven? First century Palestine. Yeah, that's right. No indoor plumbing, no air conditioning, poor family, born in a stable. Yeah, this sounds good. Political refugee, the first two or three years of my life. That's going to be real nice. You know? And let me tell you how it's going to end, guys. I'm going to die on a cross. It's going to be awesome. You know, like, like nope, that, what's in it for me did not motivate him the way it does for us. And a lot of what Jesus had to do with his disciples was kind of train them to see, hey guys, the kingdom of God is not a place where what's in it for me is the driving factor. Okay, and so we're, we're going to look at Jesus, one of his famous teachings on that today. His disciples struggled with this, so, you know, hopefully, um, you know, that gives you hope that if you're like me and very selfish, that there's hope for us, okay? So just to set the context a little bit, and then we'll look at the Bible here. Jesus... Uh, he, he has this really famous story where he's walking with his disciples and he asks his disciples, hey guys, who do people say I am? And they're like, well, some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're like just some, you know, snake oil salesman. You know, like, I don't know really what's going on. And uh, then Jesus says, well, what I really care about is who you guys think I am. And Peter speaks up on behalf of all the other disciples and says, well, Jesus, we think you're the son of God. You know, we think you're the Messiah. We think you're the guy we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, you know, good job. You know, it's like a real key moments, first time. Disciples have kind of put this together. So then Jesus decides, well, now that we're all feeling, you know, nice and lovey-dovey with each other, um, let me tell you how it's going to end, kids, okay? I just, heads up, guys, we're walking toward Jerusalem right now. Just want you to know, uh, I'm going to die, okay? Now, and it's not going to be like I woke up one morning and, like, had a heart attack die. It's going to be like, hey, like, people are going to knock down the door and they're going to arrest me and like the Jews and the Romans are going to be like oh, there he is dying you know and I'm I'm going to die you know but don't worry I'll be back you know like I'm coming back don't worry about it you know and Peter the same guy who like five verses earlier just said Jesus we think you're the son of God kind of pulls Jesus aside and says Jesus you're really bringing the group down with this I'm going to die stuff. Like, can we, can we get back to, like, the kingdom of God is near, and, you know, like, hey, love, you know, love everyone, you know, like, you're really, like, like Jesus, like, and like can we just kind of go on a new topic now? You know? And Peter doesn't even get, like, two sentences out of his mouth. Jesus interrupts him. How rude of Jesus, right? And Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Now, 
that's real like that's real harsh rebuke on anyone like i don't ever want someone to tell me hey get away from me satan right that's an especially harsh rebuke if you've actually met satan before okay as jesus has earlier and they got like that's like hey i know satan and right now you're exactly like him you know like so maybe let's not do that anymore get away from me satan you are a dangerous trap to me you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from gods okay jesus is saying peter you're doing the what's in it for me thing, buddy. You're, you're doing the, Jesus, we are all about King Jesus because it's going to be King Jesus and Prince Peter. You know, I'm going to be, it's like, hey, everyone wants to get some time with Jesus. Everyone wants to give Jesus some free stuff. You know, Jesus says all the social media companies want him to be like an influencer for their new product or whatever. And when Jesus can't do all of them, then they're going to be like, well, who else can we ask? Oh, we can ask Peter, like Jesus' right-hand man. You know, maybe he could, maybe he can throw out the first pitch at the, you know, Florida Marlins game or whatever, you know, like, I don't know what the Florida Marlins have been around for years. Anyway, so and, and they're like, anyway, I was going to make a Marlins joke, but just talking about them, you know, you already know if you've watched baseball. So, oh, yeah, oh, man, that was harsh. So Jesus, like, he, he's like, Peter, you got, you got to fix, fix this, buddy. So Jesus, then he, he sees a teaching moment, okay? So he turns, and he's going to talk to his people. And he says, okay, if any of you wants to be my follower, which should be like red alert for us, because he's like, hey, you want to know how to be my disciple? But I'm going to tell you. Like, like literally, I just said, hey, do you want to be my follower? Let me tell you how. Okay, so if you want to be my follower, let me tell you what the game plan is. Give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Okay, if you try to hang on to your life, he continues on, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. Okay, now, this is kind of a tough teaching from Jesus, okay? Jesus, in this verse, that, that, those two words, hang on, that's one Greek word. Matthew wrote his, uh, his document that we have in our Bibles in Greek, okay? And that Greek word for hang on is translated as preserve and protect, okay? So Jesus is saying, hey, if you try to preserve and protect your life, you're going to lose it. Here's the image that comes to mind for me. I think about, I don't know, has anyone ever played online, you can make a comment, raise your hand, have you ever played like poker? Anyone in here ever played poker? Texas Hold'em, anyone, anyone? Okay, okay, there's like 25% of the room is sinners like me. Okay, that's good. So I've, I'm 34, I don't know how many times I've played Texas Hold'em in my life, but I've played quite a bit, you know, I shouldn't say quite a bit, but a, a fair, enough that I should have won in the course of my lifetime more than one time when I have played, okay? And my problem in Texas Hold'em, every time I play, is, you know, y'all start with your chips or whatever, and we don't play for any money because I'm a pastor and, you know, I'm poor. So um, so just for fun, you know, just for bragging rights. And so um, we're sitting there, you know, and I start with my pile of chips or whatever, you know, and they deal the cards. And I'm, I'm a very discerning uh, Texas Hold'em player, you know. So I'll, like, look at my two cards. And if I don't like the two cards, man, I, like, I feel no urge to play. Like, no one is going to force me to, to buy into that hand. Like, see you later. Got to go. Bye. Right? And then, like, in Texas Hold'em, you know, like, they, they give you the two cards, and then you do some betting, and then they, like, turn over a couple of cards, you know, and, and you look at them. And if I don't like that, like, some people are like, well, in for a dime, in for a dollar kind of thing. I'm like, nope, in for a dime, out, out with the dime, you know. Like, I'm like, I'm not sticking in here, right? I'm staying away. And so I feel really good because I'm like, man, I'm such a self-controlled player. And then, like, seven hours later when I get the first good hand I want to be in, right, I go to be like, I'm all in, you know, push my, except the problem is I've got like a paper clip and like half of a Tootsie Pop and like lint and a button that I found on the floor and like two chips, right? And I'm like pushing them in. 
Because the problem is, I was holding on to all my chips, thinking, well, I don't want to lose these. But over the course of the game, right, it was just like a couple here, a couple there, a couple more there, right? And I'm like not making any, and all of a sudden, I just frittered away all of my belongings, basically, right? That's the image that Jesus gives us for what happens when we try to cling to our life. When I decide, well, what's in it for me is going to be the deciding factor of my life. Because what happens is, in my attempt to grasp, to preserve and protect my, my allegiance to what's in it for me, in the process of me doing that, life slips through my fingers. It's why we meet people who are more successful, however you want to define success, than they ever could have imagined, and yet still so gosh darn unhappy. Because they're trying to preserve and protect life, and it's just, it's like sand, right? It's just coming through your fingers. Jesus, though, he says something that's equally kind of disturbing, right? Because he said, hey, if you try to hang on, if you try to preserve and protect your life, you'll lose it. But then Jesus also says, if you'll just give up your life, you'll find it. Now, that word give up, <laughs> I'm not making this up. The literal translation of give up is utterly destroy, right? Like, it's the same word if you know John 3.16 when Jesus says, you know, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whomsoever would believe in him shall not perish, that word, but have everlasting life, right? It's the word for perish. It's a word for destroy. It's a word for like dunzo, you know? It's like, like I imagine when they have like, you know, if you ever watch TV, sh like Mythbusters, right? They're always like blowing stuff up, you know? Or, and like, like, it's just like gone, right? And what Jesus basically says is, hey, if you'll destroy your life, and what Jesus is not saying is like, hey, if you'll destroy your life with like some crazy gambling addiction or, you know, like whatever, right? He's saying like, no, if you'll destroy your life by destroying the need to always, you know, think through the filter of what's in it for me, the need of always getting my way, the need of always having things work out the way I decide that they should work out. If you will just kind of destroy your allegiance to that, here's what you're going to find. You will save your life. You will find your life. Now, this is challenging. It's challenging for a couple of reasons because here's what I don't think Jesus is saying. I don't think Jesus is saying, oh, we should like just never have anything nice ever, never enjoy anything, never, never like, hey, you know, it's bread and water the rest of my life, you know, bread and water and like, you know, beans that have sat in the back of my cupboard for the rest of my life, right? You can't enjoy life because it's not about me, you know, it's about whatever, right? Now, like, I, I think Jesus actually, you know, we're told in the Bible, right? Uh, verse we'll look at in a couple of weeks that God blesses us with things for our enjoyment, okay? So I think there's, you know, it's not like an austere existence for the rest of my life. But there's a difference between, hey, like, it's really cool to enjoy this thing. Or, hey, I set aside some time to go to a nice dinner with my wife or to whatever, you know? But there's a difference between, hey, I, I'm happy when these things happen, but I'm not yoked to them versus, no, it's got, it's, it's, if I don't have this, I'm going to die. You know, like that kind of that kind of thing. And isn't it true that the happiest people all of us know in our lives, some of the happiest people I've met in my life, they're people who have like no regard whatsoever for having to get their way. Like they're just so carefree. They're so free in the way that they just are like, yeah, hey, what happens happens. I'm just here like, hey, I got my friends, I got my family, I'm good. Right? You know, like like just they're so generous. They're so 
they're so loving. They're so, I imagine, like what Jesus would be like if he were like walking around, you know, in my friend group. And Jesus, I think, sensing that this was a hard teaching for people, he finishes up, he wraps up, and he says these, these words, kind of reiterating a little bit what he said, verse 26. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Jesus is saying, like, what, what, what are you accomplishing, right? Like, what good is it to have, you know, if you're an eternal being, what good is it to have, like, 70 years of being top dog and then, like, 70 million years of utter ruin, right? Like, what's that get you? Is anything worth more than your soul, right? Jesus, again, he's pushing us. The soul is kind of the eternal part of who we are, right? It's kind of the part of us that like when my body dies, right? My soul lives on with God, right? And, and so, so like he's saying, hey, don't get short-sighted here, basically. Uh, he continues on. He says, the son of man, that's the title Jesus used for himself, will come with his angels and the glory of his father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Here's what Jesus is, I think, trying to say to us here. Hey, one day, this world, it's going to end. And, and, and God is going to make a judgment about you for eternity, okay? So don't let your what's-in-it-for-me pursuit of something that's going to maybe possibly, best-case scenario, be happy, fun, good, whatever for you for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, right? Back in Jesus' day, it was 30, 40 years, you know? Um, don't let your pursuit of that blind you from the pursuit of what really matters. I'll go back to where we started. If I want to love like Jesus, then I need to lay down my life like Jesus. I need to rid myself of what's in it for me. I need to allow myself to be formed as a person of love away from selfishness and toward saying, God, I am willing to destroy my allegiance to what's in it for me so that I can be the kind of person who experiences the freedom of what's in it for them. And if you live that way, if you experience the freedom of that way, you know that freedom is really good. Um, in my marriage, Sometimes I, I'm a scorekeeper, I've discovered about myself. I'm probably the only married husband in the world, I'm sure, that does this. And so, like, I keep score, right? And so I, I, I go, well, I did the dishes. I cooked the dinner that made the dishes. I, uh, you know, and, like, we can get, you know, I made the money that paid for two-thirds of this house, you know, whatever it is, right? Like, we can chase it, which is always a dangerous route to go down, but... Yeah, like, I, like, I can find all the good stuff I do, of course, all the while ignoring all the good stuff my wife does, you know. And, uh, and I kind of get like, well, well I, I've got seven goodness points, and you've got three goodness points. So I'm just going to kind of sit back and, co right, any, can anyone relate to this in any relationship ever? Yeah, no, not at all. That's the right answer, guys. That's the right answer. Uh, and so, you know what happens when I keep score in my marriage? I become less happy in my marriage. And it's not just because inevitably it leads to me doing something stupid in my marriage, which then leads to my wife going, you're stupid and I'm unhappy for that reason, right? It's because like none of us is ever happy when we're like, well, you know, we're like you know, getting the abacus out, you know, we're counting our thing, right? You know, whatever it is, right? That never produces more happiness in relationships, does it? Uh, trust me, I've tried. It doesn't, okay? <laughs> you know when I'm really happy in my marriage? 
when I quit looking out for me all the time. And when I just say, hey, you know what? I'm just here to love and serve Brittany as best I can, you know? Whatever I am or I'm not getting out of it in this season today, you know, whatever it is, right? Like, hey, I'm just here to have a great relationship with my wife. And if that means I do the dishes and make the bed four million times in a row, great. Like, I can live with that, right? Because I just want to have a happy relationship, right? I just want to have a loving relationship. And when that's my posture in my marriage or any relationship, I'm always happier, right? Now, again... There's kind of a caveat for, you know, self-care is like all the rage right now, you know? And like, I think that's valuable. I think that's important, right? I don't think it's good for us just to continually pour out and never fill ourselves up again with stuff that's fun or, you know, that kind of fills our tank, whatever. But isn't it so true that looking out for myself, it's just exhausting. It's tiring. It's a weight on your soul that you were not designed by God to carry. Now you, like me, may think, well, Wes, that sounds really nice. But that also sounds really difficult. And to that I would say, A, good, you're correct. Like, you understand. And to that, B, I would say, yes, in our power, it is very difficult. But the good news is, our power is not the only power we have to rely on. John, the same guy who earlier said, hey, don't just talk a good game about love. Love with actions and in truth. John, a chapter later in his letter he writes to the church, says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, don't miss what John is saying here. Love comes from, God is the author, inventor, and creator of love. He, he has a full supply of it, okay? I'm not making this up. When I was in college, uh, we did, I was in choir, because I was super cool, and uh, we did a choir tour through South, southern Indiana, again, because super cool, and uh, one, of our, one of the stops we had, we'd sing at these different churches and perform at these different churches, and one of the places we stopped to perform had the guy who created the fidget spinner. I, it's such a weird thing. Yeah, he, if you're looking for him, he's in Mooresville, Indiana, is where he's at. If you're looking for him, okay? And I didn't stay at his house, but like, uh, first off, it's a very large house, apparently, from what I hear. And we would stay in people's homes. Yeah, they would house us over the course of this tour. And some of my friends stayed in this guy's house. And they came back, and they're like, man, we went into this guy's basement, and you thought you had a lot of fidgets. Like, this guy's got, like, cases and cases, and, like, every iteration, every color, every way, right? Because he's the inventor of the freaking fidget spinner, right? He's not hurting for fidget spinners, right? This guy, like, this guy, this guy can fidget all his time away. You know, he's got no problem at all, right? And he, he's got all this stuff, right? In the same way, God has created love. God's got an eternal supply of love. He's like the fidget spinner guy in his basement. He's like, oh, you used all of them? Don't worry, I got caseloads and caseloads down here. Oh, you used all the ones in the basement? I got a storage unit just down the street that's got another four million cases in there, right? Like, you don't need to worry about me running out of love. And so the reason that is important is because what John is helping us understand is if you're struggling to love well, you know the guy that isn't. And you know the guy that's got the stuff to be able to help you out if you'll ask him. And so I think a really great spot for us to start is simply say, okay, if I'm going to lay down my life like Jesus to love like Jesus, God, I need your help. God, I'm going to ask. Romans chapter 15, we'll, we'll wrap up with this. Romans 15, Paul writes, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, 
not to please ourselves, right? So Paul says, hey, you're going to come up in, in relationships in your life. He's actually writing to a church, so very specifically, you're going to have relationships within this church. They're going to test you. They're going to try your patience, okay? Um, then he continues on. He says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. And then what's he do? He pulls out the big guns. He says, because, hey, look at Jesus. Jesus Jesus didn't make it a really big priority of his life to please himself all the time. And a couple of verses later, Paul writes, uh, may the God who gives, I love this, the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other Christ Jesus had uh, that, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul says is, hey, when it comes to loving others with reckless abandon, just kind of saying, I'm not in it for me, I'm in it for them. You have a God who's the supplier of the endurance and the encouragement to love others well, because he's God. <laughs> he's got the endless supply of what it is we need. We're going to wrap up doing something a little bit different today. Um, I want to ask you, go ahead and close your eyes. Um, and uh, in front of you, if you would, just put your... Uh, Put your palms out uh, with your palms facing the ground, just kind of right in front of you. As we close, I just want to lead us through this kind of little mini prayer exercise that we can do together, and maybe this could be something you do this week as a reminder to yourself. But um, palms down, right? That's kind of the posture if you were like bowing before someone, if you're getting kind of lying prostrate prostrate on the ground. Uh, not lying prostrate, that would be different. Uh, you're lying prostrate on the ground. Before someone, right, you'd have your palms down like that and kind of a sign of reverence. And this is a symbol and posture uh, that we bring to God as our king, to Jesus as our master. And so right now, Lord Jesus, we, uh, we lay down before you, we, we bow before you, we, <laughs> we acknowledge you as king and as Lord and as master and as leader. Jesus, we desire to walk in your rhythms, ways, with your works, and with your words. And we acknowledge, Jesus, you as the king of the universe, as the son of God, son of man, that you have the authority to command such things. And now, guys, I want to encourage you, take your palms, and I want you to face them with palms up toward, toward the ceiling, toward the sky toward heaven. And this is a posture of receiving, right? If someone was going to give something to you, you would, you would stretch out your hand like this to receive from them. And uh, with that same posture, now we're praying, Lord, we pray to you not just as our master and king, but we pray to you as our, as our generous giver and savior. God, if one word describes you in scripture, it could certainly be gracious. And so, Father, we acknowledge your ability to, to love, to serve, to give as you do. Father, now we ask to receive from you the power to do so, the spiritual endurance and encouragement that you have promised in your very word to us to give. In the situations we walk in, in our church, in our families, workplaces, in our relationships. Father, through the, your Holy Spirit, 
please empower us to love like Jesus. We receive from you the power to do so. Amen. And throughout this week, I just want to encourage you, um, once a day, twice a day, or maybe just whenever you need it, like, just kind of stop yourself, right? Do that little palms down, palms up exercise, right, as a reminder of, hey, I'm not in this for me. I'm bowing before God, and I'm also receiving spiritual power from him. As we usually do, we got some discussion questions uh, that you can use in your small groups or uh, just around your dinner table. These will also be posted uh, online along with uh, our message and our social media stuff here after service today uh, by this evening probably. So uh, question one is, when's a time in your life where you felt uh, someone truly loved you like Jesus would? Uh, and then they just talk about what happened there, what, what was going on. Uh, question number two is, do you struggle with the whole uh, what's in it for me question getting in the way of you being a servant toward others? And maybe even talk about some ways that, that happens for you. And then finally, uh, I want to encourage you to read Matthew 16, uh, 20 to 27. That's like the passage we just read today. Uh, is there an area uh, where you sense God might be asking you to lay down your life so that you can better serve him and others. And just talk about that. Uh, John's going to lead us in a song as we close out here today. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and stand up and let's worship God together.
in Jesus' name. Amen.